0: Hey, it's been a while. This is a three-part series on the Wright Brothers. This is just going to be episode one. Uh, It'll count as 94. 95 will come out. That's part two. And then 96. Yeah, it'll be part three. These are from the March Patreon a while back. The show's still been going on Patreon. I've just taken time to do things like nunchucks for shoulder stability, trying to figure out my body. I don't know what to tell you. But anyway, check out the Wright Brothers. Hope your Friday is going well. I'll talk to you later on. All right. I'll see you. And part two. <music> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Oral Presentations Podcast. This is Dave McCullers, Wright Brothers, part two, and it's called... Guy stole my blanket. What's up, dude? Let's get it going. Let's get back into this story. All right. We pick up at the Outer Banks chain of Barrier Islands off the coast of North Carolina. It is the year 1900. Almost nobody lives there. So much so that there's no bridges to even get out to Kitty Hawk. So, I mean, there's no cars. I mean, cars are rare. It's like a luxury item. So, no bridges. You got to overlook it. But, yeah, there's almost nobody out there. So, September 9th, 1900, Wilbur touches down in Norfolk, Virginia, en route to Kitty Hawk. He took a train out to Elizabethtown, Elizabeth, Elizabeth, somewhere with an Eliza at the beginning in Virginia. That's where they had to go into it. And then you got to figure it out from there. He shows up. It's already a hundred degrees out and he's in like 1900s man, devil in the white city. It's hot, dude. It's already pretty hot. All right. He's already got a task. He's got to find two big spruce strips. The glider's not complete. The All of it's going to show up with Orville in a couple of days, but in the meantime, Wilbur has to find two big spruce strips to be able to fi- finish it off once it gets there. No luck. There are no Home Depots at the time. Wilbur was looking for spruce. He's got to settle for white pine. All right, that's fine. He gets back into asking for directions. Where the hell am I going? Nobody in Norfolk, which is where he ends up in, knows where or how to get to Kitty Hawk. It, <laughs> even getting there is going to be tough. takes him four days. Wilbur finally finds a local boatman with a du- uh, dude named Perry. Perry agrees to take Wilbur and the Pine Strips over to Kitty Hawk. The ferry boat ride is not great. It is a voyage of 40 miles. There are rough seas, and Perry's boat is flat bottom, so it's not made for these kind of seas. They are a rubber ducky in a bathtub, Trying to get the kitty hawk here. The mainsail breaks loose at first. That's a mess. Wilbur's just sitting there, by the way. So mainsail goes. Perry's like, oh, damn. Goes and puts it back up. Secondary sail breaks. Perry's like, this never happens. Goes and fixes that. They decide to keep the mainsail down. Let's just go slow. Keep it steady. Takes a full day. They got to sleep on the boat together. Next day, they anchor a kitty hawk. All right. Look, Wilbur got there. We got there. I got some wood, it wasn't the wood I was looking for, whatever, I'm here. Wilbur shows up at Kitty Hawk, immediately goes and finds that Postmaster, the guy who wrote him back and was like, yo, I'd be psyched if you got here. Guy's name's William Tate. When Wilbur sees him, William Tate was not lying, he is excited to see Wilbur. Be like, oh my god, are you guys really going to try this shit out here? I hope you don't die. Please do it on a beach. So the Postmaster, hyped to see Wilbur, shows him around Kitty Hawk. Kitty Hawk at the time, quiet town. Everybody works, but is poor. But they got great wind. There's only about 50 houses in the whole town, and they're all fishermen. And uh, any fish they catch would then get set up to Baltimore. That's how it works. So Kitty Hawk fishermen, anything they catch, go to Baltimore. So Wilbur's like, "Hey, I'm doing all right." And Tate's like, "Are you feeling okay? It's taking a while to get here." Wilbur's like, "Yeah, I haven't eaten in two days, dude." So Tate's like, "What are you doing?" come over my house. So Wilbur goes to the postmaster's house. They have a, uh, his wife makes Wilbur a dinner of eggs. So they eat eggs. And then the postmaster's like, dude, you can just sleep here tonight if you want. But Wilbur reads the face of the postmaster's wife. And she's kind of like, come on, man, we can't have guests. And Wilbur's like, no, actually I'm going to set up camp about a half hour or like a half mile from here. Don't even worry about it. I appreciate the invite because you can see that like, You know, if the postmaster would have had you, it would have just caused problems. So, Wilbur reads the room and he's like, I'm actually going to get the hell out of here. But, thank you very much. I'll be a half mile out there in the wilderness. My brother's coming. But, the eggs were great. The eggs were delicious. I didn't expect eggs. This is, thanks for having me, you know. All right. so Wilbur out. Working on the camp now. Starts setting up glider portions he bought. Now, the wings had to be moved from 18 feet to 17 feet. Because he couldn't find the pine strips that he wanted. He had to get spruce strips. But anyway, okay, so you lost a foot on wingspan. That's not that bad. Now, there's no motor in this glider. The goal of the trip is to get a handle on equilibrium. Equilibrium means safety to the brothers. That's the one where once you get up, you got to stay up. And that's all they're trying to nail down here. After that, they figure they can put a motor in it, no problem. The trick is being able to stay up in the air. Now, the brothers know they got to take risks. But they're planning it out and how to do steps to knock down the chances of death as much as possible. Meanwhile, as Wilbur's setting up camp, the Kitty Hawk locals are curious. You know, the national sentiment is anybody who tries this is out of their mind. You know, Kitty Hawk locals live in America, so they know about that sentiment. But they are skept- you know, They just want to go take a look at themselves. So Wilbur's setting up camp, building giant wings out of silk and, and pine or spruce strips and locals are rubbernecking them a little bit. But nobody says anything. You just know that people are watching. That's fine. You knew people were going to watch. September 26th. Orville arrives. Here we go. The brothers finish construction on their soaring machine. We got two fixed wings. One above the other. Each 5 by 17. They got warping controls. And they have a fixed horizontal rudder for elevation. Total weight of the craft. About 50 pounds. Total weight with Wilbur on it. About 190. Now when they first started trying to do glides, they didn't keep great notes. They would do two to four hour trial sessions and they started in like early October keeping with the recommendations from the postmaster. Now at first they didn't even get on it. They used it like a huge kite and kept lines attached to the ground with a max, fleet, like a max height of about like 20 feet. And they brought a camera with them, much like the German guy who died of a broken spine in 1896. They brought a camera because they thought that was a good idea so even before manned glides, they were taking photographs of every test they make. The glider breaks like every third time. That, that's kind of why they kept it low at 20 feet, because they, they brought extras and tools and stuff to be able to repair it. If it breaks, this thing's nosediving every third time. But that means two out of three times it's up in the air. And they're taking pictures of all of it. And the brothers can repair it. They go to a bike shop. They're fine. So the locals start watching. They were peeking their head out over the dunes. Locals come down every now and then. They're just like, hey, what's going on here? You know how that is with the arms crossed and the looking. But you don't mind it. Yo, people are going to look. They haven't decided that, you know, they're not being a bother. It's okay. They can hang out. Man man, flag test time. Okay, here goes. Wilbur in the middle. All right. Orville and Postmaster Tate, who said he would help, but turned out to want to help, is on the other side of the wing. So you got Wilbur in the middle. Orville, Postmaster on the other side. They're going to give him a running start. They go down the hill. Mixed results. You know, look, we knew we weren't going to nail it out the gate. Sometimes he gets up and he goes down. Sometimes he gets up pretty high and then he goes down fast. Sometimes doesn't get up at all or it just crashes pathetically to one side. This is all from written correspondence. And look, despite problems they had in the written correspondence of, of what happened here, Wilbur describes himself as the happiest he's ever been. So look, they're trying to make it work. Now, meanwhile, when they're not doing live tests of the glider, and they're just hanging out in Kitty Hawk, both Wilbur and Orville spend time just watching the local birds, like Molling that French dude from the book, who, who spent time in the desert watching the vultures. They figure, look, if we're not doing live tests, we could still do some research out here. And they end up just staring at birds out there. What they end up doing is the brothers... It looks from far away to the locals like they're playing bird charades with one another, moving their arms and hands and wrists to be able to mimic the look. It looks strange from the side, but Orville figures out that a shallow V shape is only useful when there's no air. And Wilbur notices that the winds are always inclined up or the wings of the birds are always inclined slightly upward to a degree. Right, so they're learning stuff. Light winds, birds rise constantly. People looking at them, it's all right. But even then, the, like the locals were half impressed with how good they were at bird charades. That's the thing. The locals, the 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 brothers look weird, but they're not. They're obviously doing it for a reason. So the locals aren't out on them yet. They're still like, all right. Well, at least these guys are doing something out there. Doesn't look like they're cranks. They still might die. But they got, you see the wrist mobility? Also, the whole town's old fishermen, so I'm guessing shoulder wrist mobility wasn't the best. So it's probably interesting anyway to watch somebody out there with full range of motion of shoulders mimicking birds. So, you know, look, everybody works different. Leave them alone. All right, the brothers did get hit by a storm one night and each brother only had one blanket. So in the notes, one of them wrote down like, yo, next time we come, we got to bring more blankets, man. It can get bad down here. Overall, by the time the brothers were packing up, the locals started coming over and saying hi. That's a big win. Look, they got the brothers got some science done. Neither of them died. And then eventually, they won over the locals at Kitty Hawk because they came over. They're like, hey, we've seen you out here working. We didn't get it. But uh, Tate says, you're pretty cool, our postmaster. We like him. So, are uh, you coming back or what? And the brothers are like, yeah, we've had really successful tests. We're we'll looking to be coming back next year. Thanks for having us. Everybody's just nice, nice. So the brothers depart, but now they know that when they come back to Kitty Hawk, it's kind of a friendly atmosphere for science that they might die doing. But still, friendly atmosphere, that's an overall plus right there. All right, mid-October. The brothers receive a letter from Catherine. They're about to pack up, and Catherine's like, Hey, the guy that you left in charge of the bike shop was a total mess and didn't know how to work, so I fired him. So the brothers are like, all right, things are breaking out back home. we got to pack up and get out of here. So they do one last test, or like a last series of tests. This was on October 19th. Wilbur made a number of man flight tests, and we're talking 300 to 400 feet. These were good ones. Speeds landing approximating 30 miles per hour, but they couldn't judge speed at that point in time or wind speed. They're just going off feel here. Either way, 300 to 400 feet, 30 miles an hour. Those are big wins, dude. Orville writes a letter back home, we're returning home, and here's the thing, our pet theories have not been knocked in the head by the hard logic of experience yet, also nobody's dead yet, so pretty good, also local's pretty cool, so the brothers are back up, or the brothers pack up, and they, but they leave the machine, it was a one time thing, it was all their best ideas in that one machine, and now they know they're going to build a new one. So they asked the locals, like, yo, you guys want this? Like, it's a craft service table after a shoot. they're just like, yeah, you want... You can have these Cheez-Its if you want. And the locals are like, oh, yeah, dude, we'll take that. And the postmaster's wife ends up making a pair of dresses for their daughters out of the kite silk that they used for the first glider, which I thought was pretty cool. All right, musical interlude. Back at the bike shop. Oh, yeah. Eight months. Back working, gotta make money. They are funding this endeavor all on their own here. Now, although they keep the bike shop going, the brothers spend most of their time thinking about the next trip to Kitty Hawk. Plans for the next test glider. We need a new glider, dude. Same general plan as the last one, but here's what I'm thinking, way bigger. They do new wing calculations, and they. but here's the problem. They pattern this new glider, the second glider's wing calculations off of that German dude who was who died in 1896, they used that guy's math tables for how to do the wing calculations for their second glider. Also, during the interlude between their first and second trip to Kitty Hawk, this guy named Octave, I'm gonna call it Chanu. I don't know how to say his last name. Again, it's just me reading the book, so I'm taking a whack at this. Octave Chanu. This guy was a big deal from the Smithsonian. Not in D.C. He's based out of Chicago. But the brothers really admired this guy because they read his aeronautics book before they started any of this. So this guy, Octave Chanu, has heard about the brothers, comes down to Dayton, visits the brothers. Now at the time, Octave is 70 years old. He's kind of a, he's like a kindly old man. Home based in Chicago. He's like, hey, what's up? I've heard what you guys have been doing. This is incredible. He's super nice. They have a hero of aeronautics visit them in between the first and second trip to Kitty Hawk, and the guy's really supportive. Octave also brings an expensive gift for the brothers. It's from France. It's a, it's a device that's handheld that accurately measures the wind speed. This is huge, right? It's like a Legend of Zelda item you unlocked. Octave recommends an apprentice as well. He gives him the tool, which is awesome, but then he tags it with like, oh, also, I got this apprentice he's great he's dreamed of flying his whole life done a lot of work i'd love him to come the kitty hawk with you what do you think and the brothers are like well i can't tell look the brothers aren't thrilled about this okay you keep the circle small if we needed another guy we would go find another guy but they can't say that this guy's like octave chanu is their hero or one of their heroes so they're like yeah have him come down. We'll pass you the dates. It'll be great to have this guy. We don't know who you say is good, but and we're not going to argue with you, but yeah, we can have him come down next time. That sounds good. Now, around this time, after Octo Chanu leaves, the brothers hire this dude named Charlie Taylor. Charlie Taylor was a local mechanic who had done spot work for the brothers when bike production got like stacked up and they had to move van cleats. They'd call this dude because he could do anything. Ultimate craft brain. Now, he's married with two children, the brothers work with him for a short amount of time, and they're like, hey, do you want to do... Like, we will pay you $18 a week, which was apparently good at the time. Do you just want to make sure this doesn't collapse? And Charlie Taylor's like, yeah, I like you guys. I understand how to do this stuff. So the brothers hired Charlie Taylor, and this guy, this is a huge win for them, because now their personal business is handled by a responsible dude who knows what he's doing. It is said that he smokes cigarettes all day, but there's nothing wrong with that. Look, the guy's getting something, I mean don't pick up cigarettes if you're listening to this but back in the 1900s you need somebody to run your bike shop what are you gonna not hire a guy because he smokes cigarettes this is fine charlie taylor get in here so the hiring of charlie taylor also solidifies their personal war chest for being able to get this stuff done it's not huge but the bike shop is going to stay open which means that the money's going to keep coming in And Charlie Taylor was the only employee that the Wright brothers needed for eight years. That's how good at his job that guy was. All right, Sunday, July 7th, 1901. Back at Kitty Hawk. The brothers leave together this time by train. They get to Elizabeth City. That's where it was. Elizabeth City. They touch down. It is a hurricane. Okay. (laughs) It's going to be new challenges this time. There is a hurricane going on the East Coast. And since they have that new wind device from octave chanu they pull it out and they're like oh wow 97 mile an hour winds okay well good thing we're not flying a glider today we'd be dead so eventually brothers get to kitty hawk it's round two they set up camp it is raining all day all right we're still it's fine look we're back at kitty hawk The locals know us we hit a hurricane and now it's raining all day whatever the brothers also drive a pipe 10 to 12 feet into the ground for well water that was at the advice of Postmaster Bill Tate. Second time around, were, Tate was like, hey, you, if you just throw a pipe down there, you can get your own fresh water, no worries. And Orville's like, are you sure? Because I got typhoid once. And Bill's like, yeah. Good question, though. Typhoid does get some people. Norville's like, yeah, it was bad. All right. Brothers build a long, shallow shed. It's different. First time they went, they just went with like a Boy Scout-style tent, and then everything was outside. This time, they planned to build a small hangar to protect it from the winds and the elements, and they knew that the craft was going to be bigger. It's said in the book that even building a small hangar this quickly would have been an accomplishment, but they were just setting up camp. All right, about to start glider construction. The Outer Banks gets crushed by mosquitoes. This apparently happens every 10 to 12 years. One out of 10, one out of 12 years... Biblical plagues of mosquitoes descend upon the Outer Banks and 1901 was one of those years. Clouds of mosquitoes like the mummy is yawning at them descend on the brothers. And the wind drops out and you got the summer heat and it's the second time and the only note they made from the first time was bring more blankets. So they're sweating under a bunch of blankets. They're covered in welts all the time. This lasts for like a week straight. They consider going home and packing it up but after about four or five days, the clouds and mosquitoes disappear. They were trying to sleep. They couldn't get any sleep. They would do the thing where you cover yourself in blankets and then make an air hole for your nose. And then they would just get their noses mosquito bit all night. It was, it was not fun. But whatever. Clouds and mosquitoes disappear. We're still out here. We hit a hurricane. It's the second time. There's going to be problems. This is when Edward Hasker shows up. This is Octave Chan, who's an apprentice from the Smithsonian, that every, that the brothers were kind of like, all right, yeah, you say he's a good guy, but, you know, adding people to our team without really asking us and just telling us in person is kind of weird. But anyway, all right, Edward Haster shows up. Maybe this guy's good. Who knows? He brings his own glider? Okay. I, I thought that was weird. You know, this isn't the Wright brothers and Edward Hasker who decided that Kitty Hawk was a great place to find out man flight. But whatever, the brothers are like, hey, what's up, dude? Cool glider? You know Octave Chanu? That guy's cool. And Edward Hasker's like, yeah, I built this with Octave Chanu's money. And the brothers are like, okay, that's cool. Hasker seems all right at first. Then second guy shows up. George Alexander Spratt, this dude had no aeronautics background, but he did have medical training. This guy was also recommended by Octave Chanu, but Chanu was like, you're probably not going to need this guy. He might be a burden, but he he was trained as a doctor, so if anybody does fall to their almost death, this guy could help. Also, George Alexander Spratt from Coatesville, PA. Oh, yeah. Went on down and went on down, That's pretty close. Coatesville's like an hour from from Philly from wherever you're at I don't know people listen to this podcast all over the place but I saw Coatesville pop and I was like yo George Alexander Spratt getting down there so camp is now a four pack of dudes you got the brothers you got Edward Hasker and you got George Alexander Spratt repping Coatesville down there all right the way camp looks Orville does all the cooking Edward Hasker is a pain in the ass almost immediately the guy is all compliments and doesn't do his own dishes He also uses other people's stuff, okay? And whenever he talks, he keeps talking about building character and how he's building his own character and stuff, and then continues not to do dishes, which I live in a glass house of, obviously, because uh, when I was younger, I had a shameful amount of Edward Hasker in me, in my opinion. But it's like, come on, man. This is man flight. You're down here as a guest, Nobody even wanted you. You're not. Th- Come on, man. Stop stealing all the spoons. God damn it. All right. By the way, Hasker's glider that he brought down that he didn't pay for, they didn't ask if he could bring down. They try to test that thing, it shatters into like stained glass window pieces, like first attempt. And he's like, oh, no. All right. July 27th. Wright Brothers, tests get going. Here we go. First test. Wilbur nosedives into the ground. Not great. Second test, also nosedives. Can't get it going. What happened here? Third test, 100 yards. 100 yards. Everybody is psyched who's there except for the brothers because both Wilbur and Orville know that something is wrong here. This, this should not be doing this. The machine is acting like the one that killed the German guy, Otto Linenthal, in 1896. It's doing the thing where you go up, and then you know straight down. And the, brothers, the brothers recognize this almost right away. Orville writes back to Catherine, hey, the math that we used, because in the in-between, they were using the German guy and Otto Linenthal or Otto Linenthal and Octave Chan, they were using those guys' math. Orville writes back to Catherine that, hey, that math that we used, that, that's all completely wrong. It's, it's going to kill us. Like, the, the math that they said to use was a 1 versus 12 ratio for the wing. And uh, and Orville's like, we're going back to what we did last year, which is 1 out of 22. Like, unfortunately, that the math that we used from our Heroes books, it's all counterfeit. Like, none of that can be used and it's going to kill us if we keep using it. So, we're quietly going back to our own math. I don't really know what to tell them because they're going to ask us about it, especially Octave Chanu. We're going to try not to hurt his feelings, but most of everything he's ever done is not useful at all. Whoops. Anyway, after they change the math to the stuff they used at first, the brother's machine works and they can handle and land at safety. Okay. All right. August 8th, Octave Chanu shows up to camp to watch. Oh, no. Don't tell him what math we're using, okay? Testing goes all right, but new problem appears. The wing warping system is not responding correctly. Wilbur takes a header pretty hard and his ribs are messed up. Something is wrong again. After that problem shows its head, both Spratt from Coastville and Hasker, the apprentice that nobody wanted, depart. And Hasker, on his way out, steals one of Orville's blankets, which is where the name of of this episode came from. I can't believe that guy was a burden the whole time down there at camp. And then on the way out was like, and I'm taking a blanket, dude. If I was Orville... And the rest of the book, they they referenced this guy. I was like, God, I'm glad that guy's not around anymore. Fucking guy stole my blanket. Can you believe that? His glider crashed the first day. He did nothing but talk and eat food I made. And then he stole one of my blankets, dude. Never again. After Spratt and Haskett apart. The brothers also leave Kitty Hawk, but when the, when the brothers leave for the second time, they feel like failures. They thought they had it this time. They were using the math from the experts. The first time went well. They encountered a lot of problems this time around, a lot of interpersonal issues at camp they didn't expect. The math given to them had been wrong, which is devastating. Brothers are going to have to find a way to do their own tables and calculations in the in-between of the second and third trip. And the whole train ride home, they're kind of bummed out. But by the time they get back to Dayton, they're good to go. Look, how sad are you going to stay? We've still got a bike shop. Charlie Taylor's the man. He's been running this thing. We're still good. We can do our own math. That's all right. got to figure out how to do that, though. They decide that they're going to they're gonna work nights. They'll help out at the shop. Charlie Taylor mostly takes care of it. And the brothers at night are going to use the workspace in the back to be able to work on their gliding project. They use the dark room in the back to develop their own film because even though they weren't happy with the second trip, they were still taking pictures of everything. And developing the film itself was entertaining because it's old-style film from like 1901. So they don't know what they have. So every time they develop it and it's the glider, they're like, oh, we got one. It's probably fun to do. At this, at this point in time, Octave Chanu knows the brothers are home in Dayton, and he writes to Wilbur, and he's like, Hey, do you want to come give a lecture on aeronautics in Chicago? And Wilbur's like, I don't, I don't really know how to respond. So in the in-between of deciding whether or not to give this speech, President William McKinley is shot by an anarchist. Which is important in this story because McKinley was from Ohio. And Ohio was proud of almost, they really didn't have a whole lot going except in episode one. They were really proud they already had three presidents from the state. McKinley was the fourth. Gets shot by an anarchist. He ends up dying. William McKinley got assassinated in office. I I didn't know about this. This is a huge blow to everybody in Dayton and all Ohio is bummed out. Every flag's at half staff. People got black drapes on the front. The brothers are real bummed out because they're, they're from Ohio just like everybody else. They're not, they, you know, the president got shot and he was from here. That sucks. So to avoid all that depression that may come with that, the brothers start working overnights. They just throw themselves in the work to distract themselves. Wilbur responds to Octave Chanu's invitation to come give a lecture and he's like, yeah, sounds good, man. I'll see you soon. But it's really because he can't say no. Even though Octave Chanu's math was no good, it's still one of their heroes. It's like a network-y friend in the industry and also a guy who believes in him. He's got behind him. He's like, yeah, I, gotta get... I can't tell him no. So Catherine and Orville tell him, cool, it'll be fine. And they go get Wilbur some new clothes for his Chicago live show. Wilbur is a nervous wreck preparing for this. And then to make it worse, he gets a letter from Octave Chanu like three weeks before. And he's like, oh, hey, by the way, We made your talk on aeronautics a ladies' night. And Wilbur's like, oh, my God. Oh, no. He tells Wilbur, and uh, Wilbur's like, okay, so is your talk going to be witty or scientific? And then uh, Wilbur responds to his brother. He's like, dude, the talk is going to be pathetic, okay? (laughs) I thought it was a fun line. All right, live show. You got to go do a date, Wilbur. Let's go. Goes to Chicago. Shows up. Has dinner at Octave Chanu's place before the lecture. That was cool of Octave Chanu to do. Just in case he, I don't know if he did it because he knew Wilbur might be nervous or what. But that was probably cool to help him calm down. Show starts at 8. Octave gets out there, does a host set. But it's all compliments about how smart Wilbur is. So it's kind of building expectations. Not very helpful, but thanks for kicking the show off. Wilbur goes for it. Alright, his talk is called Some Aeronautic Experiments. Hot title. Wilbur decides to go technical. Stick to what he knows. He has no idea what he's doing. Otherwise, he's just going to go up there and give a science talk. It's straightforward and clear. And he hits on the most important thing about man flight is equilibrium. Now, he uses a piece of paper to explain this. He decided instead of spending an hour and a half trying to explain birds... He came up with. I thought this was really swift. He just holds up a big piece of paper in this lecture hall, and then he drops it. And then he starts making fun of the piece of paper about how it doesn't listen to anybody. It's no good for anything. You can't get on top of it and ride it. There's no equilibrium. So in one quick scientific discover demonstration, he skips an hour. I have to explain birds. He's like, you see what I'm saying? There's no equilibrium in this paper, so it was a huge piece of paper. You couldn't get on it. It got, it got up in the air easy. I just had it shoulder height and it fell, right? We can get up in the air. The trick that we're working on is being able to ride this piece of paper. Then he goes from the piece of paper bit directly into a horse riding analogy, right? This is solid, dude. So we go, he explains to the audience. He's like, all right, you got the piece of paper thing, right? So here's how we're looking to do it. We figure there's two ways to learn how to ride a horse if it won't listen to you. You can either sit on a fence and stare at it all day and then try to plan out how to do it, which is a thing we're doing, by the way. Me and my brother stand outside and we stare at birds all day. That is one part of our plan. Or if you want to ride a horse, you just got to get on it. You might die, but it'll make you a better rider. So ultimately, me and my brother's plan, we're going with the second one of there Where it's just get on the horse and hope nobody breaks their neck. We're doing it as safe as possible. But we actually have to learn how to be pilots too. This is a very complicated job. So anyway, that's how it's going. Wilbur crushes. People love it. Some aeronautics experiments goes over great. National scientific journals. People throwing hats at him. People love him. Wilbur crushes, dude. Way to go. Also... Wilbur considered throwing Octave Chanu under the bus. He had a small part in his speech where he was like, we are standing on the shoulders of giants, such as Otto Linenthal from Germany, who broke his spine in 1896, and uh, my host, Otto Chanu, who graciously provided with mathematics tables, which were useful in in some ways, didn't throw him under the bus, thought about it and was like, I don't want to make enemies, I can't be doing that. Wilbur crushes his speech in Chicago, Chicago, which is cool because he's got no public speaking experience. But he just went technical. Stayed with what he knew. Live demonstration. To the horse analogy. Everybody wins, dude. Good stuff. All right. Back at home in Dayton. Before they go to Kitty Hawk a third time, the brothers have to figure out their own math. Even though he doesn't want to publicly throw Otto Chanu under the bus, they got to figure out their own math. Check out how they did this, right? So using extra back workspace at the shop... They got the photo development thing out of there. The brothers built their own wind tunnel. Right? Here's how they pulled this off. It was six inches square. So six by six. And then it was six feet long. And they used a gas powered fan to be able to put wind through it. Now it was loud, but it worked. They also used the wind speed tool that had been given to them by Octave Chanu. That French Legend of Zelda thing they got earlier. They put that at the tail end of the tunnel... To be able to gauge how fast the wind was going through their wind tunnel here, right? So they tested possible in, possible wing angles in their homemade wind tunnel by using hacksaw blades. They had a bunch of those laying around the shop. They could find those. They cut them with tin snips and then hammered them into different shapes and sizes of airfoils, and then used a bicycle spoke to prop it up in their homemade wind tunnel and then use that French hand device to, to see how, how strong the wind was going. Now look, it was slow and monotonous because they had, they tested 38 different wing shapes, so 38 different hacksaw blades in that little wind tunnel. So it took them a long time to do it, but they got it done. They made their own math that way. This allowed them to gather their own data before going back out to Kitty Hawk for a third time. It's a huge breakthrough. Nobody Now people have made wind tunnels before. But nobody had done it for this specific purpose in this way to gather this kind of data. This was huge for the brothers. By the time they finish that up, though, money is getting tight. They are they are dumping some cash into this project. Now, the brothers have to refocus on the bike shop. Wilbur tells Octave Chanu that, like, hey, we got to take some time. I actually got to make some money. I can't be doing this. You know, we got some things going, but we're out of funds. We got to sell some Van cleats, man. Octave Chanu hits him back, and he's like, I'm sorry to hear that. Hey, I'm boys with Andrew Carnegie. Do you want him to just give you guys a lot of money? Because he'll give you, like, you want like 10 grand? I can tell him about this. He knows me. He trusts me. He'll give you like 10 grand right now. And Wilbur and Orville, they talk it over, but they eventually decline the offer of like a free $10,000 from Andrew Carnegie. Their logic being one, they don't want a boss. And they don't want to boss because of the amount of failure that they've already had in this project. They still don't know if it's going to work or if either of them are going to die. And they also know that Andrew Carnegie doesn't have much experience with manned human flight. So they don't know what expectations Andrew Carnegie may have for results for that $10,000 of their money. And they're also not, they're not all the way broke yet. They're close. They're real close. They got to take time off to get some bike sales going. But they eventually, they, did, they declined the money. They say, thanks, but no thanks. We're going to keep self-funded here. So the brothers bear down, selling some bicycles. At this point in time, the Wright brother's dad starts having problems. Bishop Wright, right? So in part one, we talked about how he was like a traveling preacher doing his own thing. Now he had a hard anti-Masonic stance that was being questioned in the church here. Half the church wanted to let Freemasons in. Bishop Wright was like, I don't know, man. That seems like a bad idea. We're doing okay now. Bishop Wright loses that. Freemasons join the church. Wright brother's dad is then demoted and almost all the way fired. Uh, Church politics, I suppose. He's allowed to still do road gigs, but eventually Bishop Wright is like, all right, I'm just going to go off and do my own church. That kind of sucks. Almost immediately the first guy that Bishop Wright hires to be part of his own church starts skimming from the books. And as months go on, the guy's name was Kettler. It's found out that he's already stole $7,000 from this startup church that Bishop Wright put everything he had into. Wilbur steps up and he's like, all right, I'm going to help my dad out. I'm sorry. My dad's pretty bummed out with his work problems. I'm going to step up there. Wilbur starts going through the books. Now, the guy Kettler's already being looked at for fraud and embezzlement, but it's an in-church trial that's happening. So it's the Wright brother's dad being like, this guy's stealing a bunch of money. I hired him. It's problems. And then this dude Kettler, who's stealing money, is like, Bishop Wright is jealous of my success. There's no proof of this. And Wilbur's in the back looking through the books being like, hold on, just give me a second. Just give me a second. Because... There's not enough evidence or maybe Kettler was very popular in the church. The in-church trial decides that Kettler was just careless and that he wasn't intentionally trying to steal. This makes the Wright brothers dad even more bummed out, right? And so Wilbur's like, all right, dude, uh, give me a second. I'm going through these books. Wilbur goes up to Chicago to get like the master books of like all of the church stuff goes through all of them. And comes back and he's like, yo dad, we don't have to worry about this. This guy has been stealing money all over the place. These books are Charles Ponzi level crooked, dude. Like I can barely read them. I don't know how your church, I don't know where, how are you getting any money? This guy's stealing everything, right? So then Wilbur goes using his new oral presentations chops that he got from Chicago from killing up there. Makes a presentation in front of all the church people exonerates his dad's name his dad's like oh thanks for that man I was I didn't want to I do not want to complain or anything I was pretty bummed out that like guy was stealing so much money from me Wilbur's like yeah don't worry about it dude it's fine Kettler ends up being a Timberland speculator in Tennessee you're out late August Kitty Hawk round three we got our own math from a homemade wind tunnel now naturally people are still calling the Wright brothers dumb but Kitty Hawk locals on the team That's all you need They get down there, weather's good, got new math to go on, no biblical plagues of insects this time. And they sink a deeper well for better water. The thing that Postmaster Tate told them last time, they they go with a bigger pipe for better water. Overall improvements, no insects. They did have a mouse problem this time. They set up camp and after three days, both brothers are irate at this mouse that they can't catch. So Wilbur grabs a stick and Orville pulls a gun on him. Orville was real frustrated, I guess, because then he he shoots up a corner of the hangar where the mouse is. He like, I think it was a revolver, like six shots at a mouse. It was like 1902. You're allowed to do that. There's no, there what nobody even gonna hear it. Doesn't hit the mouse. Mouse doesn't move. Mouse looks back at at Orville and just walks out. So that was how that went. George Spratt from Coatesville, invited back for round two. Hasker, not invited back. Not even told it was happening. But George Spratt was cool. Comes on back down. Again, no aeronautical training, but likes hanging out. Likes to work. Does his dishes. Come hang out, dude. Round three. Everybody's running 10-hour days. It's time to test it. All right, the brothers do 50 glides in three days. They got small ones. Nothing over 200 feet here. Orville crashes hard. He takes a header. The math is good, but Orville was flying and he's tried to wi- he tried the wing warping without keeping the elevation in mind because at this point in time there's a fixed rudder on the back. And so when you wing warp, you got to think about where you're at. Orville doesn't get hurt but he does crash hard. Not good, but ultimately the brothers kind of understand what happened there. Repairs made to the gliders, and that night Wilbur goes on a coffee bender. They have coffee at camp. Wilbur has like 19 and a half cups of coffee. I'm, I don't know who I was talking about this with. I first discovered coffee in like sixth grade. That's when I also started playing Diablo 2. I found those two together, and I would make myself just like AutoZone pots of coffee, drink a whole pot of coffee, and play Diablo 2 for like 11 hours straight. I didn't invent anything, but anyway, Wilbur goes on a similar Diablo 2 7th grade run on coffee the night that Orville crashes hard. It works out for him because that night Wilbur discovers that the rudder must be able to move in conjunction with the wing warping mechanism. You got to make them talk to, them, to each other. So you turn and left, you got to be able to have the, the rudder go up for elevation too if you need it to. Orville then tags that idea With a system to make the wing warp and be able to talk to the rudder for elevation almost effortlessly. And he bases it off the bicycle. Orville's like, dude, you know riding a bike? Here's what I'm saying. Let's make all these things talk to one another. Put all the strings underneath a hip cradle, dude. We'll fly this thing with our hips. And by doing that, it frees your hands up. That'll feel better. And then you can have the thing. Also, if you crash, you got your hands out in front of you. You could break your arms instead of your neck this time. Overall, hip cradle, number of benefits. Let's go with hip cradle. I thought I was pretty swift that Orville like thought of the bicycle, went with the hip cradle, so now they got a new plan. At this point in time, a dude named Langley from the Smithsonian contacts the brothers and requests all their information. Brothers don't know this guy. And also Langley doesn't offer any of his own research at all. But he ends the letter with like, also, can I come down to Kitty Hawk? Now the brothers find out that Langley had spent years being well funded on a gas engine flying machine. And so they put these pieces together and they just act like they didn't even get that text. They're just they just don't they're just like, oh well, I don't know what happened, postmaster down here, I don't know. He's a good guy, but sometimes he loses letters. I don't know what the hell to tell that guy at the Smithsonian. We'll see. So with the new hip cradle idea in mind, after the third trip, camp breaks. uh, Everybody goes home. Spratt goes back to Coatesville. He's like, yo, thanks for hanging out again. You're the man. If we do this again, we'd love to have you again. God, he turned out so much better than that other guy. The other guy had actual training. He was stealing blankets. God, we hated him. The brothers crank out a final 100 glides. Just in the last couple of days, the two of them, just to work on things, they did turn out to be the best ones. And now the brothers go home from the third trip of Kitty Hawk with the hip cradle idea that allowed them to solve the problem of equilibrium. They built like a, a, a prototype version on it for the last 100 glides, and it worked enough that the brothers knew going home from the third time that they'd solved it. They're going to have a year to refine this hip cradle idea. They're going to have the the glider the size they want. They got another year for wind tunnel tests. By the time they come back, they solved it, dude. They got equilibrium. And both brothers know that the only thing left to do now next year is to put a motor in it. Guys, thank you for listening to the show. I hope your Friday's going well. This is the end of the Wright Brothers Part 2. Hope your weekend rules, and I'll talk to you next week. All right, I'll see you guys later.